This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a great guest on today, Joel Strickland. Um, kind of the waterfall master, I guess you could say. And, and we're going to talk... Man, we're going to talk a bunch of stuff waterfall hunting today. Um, for those of you that don't know, Joel's got a great series called Surviving Duck Season on YouTube, and we're going to dig into a lot of that. But over the last year, he's spent a ton of time and energy doing videos on basically anything shotgun related, I guess you could you could say, of patterning your shotgun, choke tubes, what different loads look like with different shotguns. Um, I'd probably say I've actually never seen as much detail into it as what you've done, Joel. It it was a very interesting process that I it just kept getting bigger and bigger every single time we we set out for a little project. It was like, oh, it's just one question leads to another to another. I, I really had no intention of making it as big as it is, and it's it's ever growing. And it's, it's great. So again, if anybody that hasn't just look up surviving duck season, you'll get on there. And next thing you know, it'll be seven hours later because you'll be watching all the stuff that Joel's got on there. Um, basically describing how I met Joel would have been, uh, two years ago when I was doing the North American waterfall slam, I met Joel in Arkansas and we were on a late season snow goose hunt and got it all done in a couple days down there. But in talking with him, I just became fascinated with, I guess your history and your knowledge of just Arkansas waterfalling and then waterfalling in general, just because you've been doing it your whole life and, and just all the knowledge you've gained with it. Yeah. Waterfowl is definitely my passion. I, mean, I love to hunt just about anything. And I've, I've, I've been hunting since I was a teenager, but, but the waterfowl thing was really, uh, it's just what does it for me. I mean, people say, well, you know, if you could hunt one thing, what would it be? I'd say mallard ducks, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. that's just what it is for me. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm one of those kind of guys that when I find something that I like, I'm all in and it's just like, I want to know everything I can about it. I want to understand the why 
not just go do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, don't, don't just take me to a good spot to kill ducks. Let's talk about why this is a good spot. Let's talk about how we're doing it. And that's how I learned. And then, and that's kind of my process moving forward as, as I'm, you know, creating videos, I want it to be the same experience for the viewers. Yeah. I think, I mean, just judging, watching your stuff on online and everything like the engagement and I think just the general knowledge that you help provide, it seems like the viewers are just eating it up because you can't find, you can't find this stuff anywhere else. Yeah. You know, the, YouTube has, for me, has always been this, I wonder how to do this. Mm-hmm. And then you go to YouTube and it's like, fix your dryer, you yep. know, or fix something on your truck or whatever. And, and that's kind of always been my thought about YouTube. And I, you know, my background is television production. I've been working in film and television since the eighties. And, and so, you know, when, when I, for me to consider doing content on YouTube was, that, I mean, I don't do that, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and, and then it just turned into that here in the last five or six years. It's like, there are, you know, online, whether it's YouTube or other types of streaming, you know, platforms, you know, there's a lot of, you know, content creators that have the same kind of background that I do that. And so, you know, when it came to the waterfowl deal for me, it's like, well, I'm, I'm a guide, you know, during duck season, I do film and television production when it's not that time of the year. And how can I take those two things that mean so much to me and turn it into, you know, something else that, you know, can mean something to other people. And so that's kind of where the YouTube thing started for me. Uh, There's, there are a lot of YouTubers that do duck hunts that, you know, that say, watch me or let's Mm -hmm. go along with me on this thing. And, And that's great. But, but I could tell that there was definitely a void in the education part of it. And so, you know, I was like, well, uh, you know, I, I actually started just creating television on YouTube and after about three or four episodes, I realized very quickly that that wasn't necessarily the route that I at least needed to start with. Uh, I, I put out a, a, what I felt like was a very mindless video that was just kind of a tip on something and it blew up. I'm like, really? (laughs) I I just spent like 50 grand on these three videos that I produced. And you're telling me that this thing I made in like 20 minutes is going to go viral. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and so that's kind of what, what was very telling to me. It's like, okay, people want this information and that's kind of where I kind of landed. Hey everybody, month of October tag season still rolling along here. Arizona on October 11th for spring bison and spring turkey in October 31st and in the end in the month here Wyoming has their point only so make sure to get applied for that one there's one thing about the hunting hunting community they do get tend to shy away when they have questions because they don't want to make themselves seem like they don't know or they don't want to ask the wrong question even though as you know especially you can't you can't ask the wrong question when hunting right. it doesn't matter if it's waterfall deer it doesn't matter just as the more knowledge you have the better and if you ask people that do it day in and day out you're just going to speed that process of your of your knowledge up um yep. i guess let's let's backtrack a little bit here so you said you've been producing since the 80s when when did you start hunting and when did you get into the the i would call it the production or outdoor industry yeah so i i started hunting I was probably 13 or 14 when I first, when I first started hunting. 
Uh, my dad actually was not a hunter. Um, I had several uncles, both on my mom and my dad's side, uh, that were hunters. And, and so it was kind of like we go to grandma's for Thanksgiving and the uncles that lived nearby, you know, were, were big hunters. And so that was kind of part of the deal. And I kind of wind up going with them, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I really kind of had to dive into it myself. I learned a lot of the hunting that I did as a teenager, just really figuring it out. And, and that was in a day where you had field and stream and outdoor life. There wasn't really any outdoor television to speak of then. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have cable that much. I mean, there's a little bit of cable back then, but I mean, it's, it was still, you know, the early to mid eighties, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to see, you know, to learn other than from a mentor, which I didn't really have. And, and so, you know, being blessed living in Arkansas, growing up in Arkansas, uh, there was a lot of outdoor opportunities, fishing and hunting both that I, you know, took advantage of. And I, I miserably failed way more often than I, than I succeeded. And, and, and I, if it had to been that there was just a target rich environment for both fishing and hunting, I would have given up because, I mean, you're, if you can see, there are thousands of ducks right there and why can't I kill one mm-hmm. of them? <laughs> you it know, it's a little frustrating. Least, yeah. It's well, it was frustrating, but at least there was a carrot dangling. You know I mean? If I'd have grown up somewhere that, that, you know, all you see is 20 ducks a day. I mean, I would have probably never done it, yeah. uh, to be honest, but, but yeah, so, so, but you know, I, eventually I, I figured some of it out and I, I connected with guys that were, were hunters and learned from them and, and figured out how to use my, my camera skills to get me access to places. You know, I, I, I wound up getting access to a hunter's property to a farmer's property by taking my camera and shooting video and, and giving them the footage and they go, Oh, well you can do whatever you want to, yep. you know? And so, so, so like I said, you know, to answer your other part of the question, when I get into film and video production, I started working, um, my, I, I was very into, to, to, to uh, photography at an early age and, my school, my high school had bought a film camera and they, and I was on the yearbook and, and the yearbook staff as a photographer and, and they were asking me, can you help us figure out how to run this camera? Cause they wanted to, to do some stuff for football films. And so that's kind of really where part of it started was learning how to edit football films and shoot video with a, with a eight millimeter film camera. And, and very quickly, um, I, I decided that this is something I wanted to pursue. And a friend of mine's dad was friends with Mary Steenburgen. And she's the Hollywood actress and, and producer, very famous at the time. And they had a film coming into town and I got crewed as an, basically as a production assistant. Not, it wasn't a, a nothing role, but it kind of gave me access to seeing how it really happened. And I guess the rest is history, as they say. So when you started into film, it wasn't necessarily outdoor filming. It was no. all sorts of filming. At what point did you go the outdoor route? So in, I guess, about 87, 87, I guess it was, I went to the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and met uh, one of the guys that worked in the information and education department and said, hey, um, do you all have a video department here. I want to work for you. And the guy said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. 
and he introduced me to the guy that was in charge of the of the department. And I was a senior in high school at the time, and he invited me to be a intern. And so that's what I did. I interned with the Game and Fish Commission for a couple of years and learned a lot about biology, biologists and what they do. We we went on a bunch of different, you know, excursions, you know, for, you know, highlighting the different, you know, things that the, that the managers and the biologists did. Uh, that was very fascinating to me. And I learned a lot. We, we did we had a television show that we did on local NBC affiliate. And I was a co-producer on that. And it was just, it was an incredible experience for me. And it, it helped me to network with a lot of people in Arkansas uh, at the time at a very young age. And, you know, I mean, really at that, at that day and time, there was not, I mean, video production was not like it is today. I mean, everybody's, everybody's a producer. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody's got a laptop and can make videos. Back then, it wasn't that way at all, um, and especially not for a young person. I mean, I was very, very much an anomaly. It, you know, there just wasn't a lot of young people doing it, and so I kind of rose to the occasion. I, I took the bull by the horns, as they say, and just kind of took every opportunity I had. I did all kinds of internships with production companies, worked for free for lots of things. Um, you know, finally got some paid gigs and in, and just, you know, saved all the money I had by living with my parents and, and going to school at the local university and, you know, started buying video equipment so I could have my own production company. And that's kind of what I did in my early, my late teens and early twenties. I mean, you don't you don't hear many s stories like that anymore, especially with how young you were doing all that in your in your late teens, early twenties. So you had yeah. your you had your own production studio. You got you you had the nose to the grindstone and got your own production studio at a young age. Yeah, and then was that production studio was again doing all sorts of jobs in the area. I assume, correct? Yeah, I mean, I I did I did a lot of. I did a lot of work for my church. Um, I worked, in fact, I was, I was on staff, you know, kind of part-time for the last, you know, part of my twenties, I guess. And then, or not, or my early twenties, uh, I was, I did that at, at my church in Little Rock is when, where I lived at the time. And then I also, uh, we produced music videos and did all kinds of, you know, commercials and promotional videos for, for businesses. And when I was 22, I had this idea that I wanted to do an outdoor television show because I'd seen some fishing shows and there wasn't very many hunting shows on. And I was like, I want to do a, a show that had hunting and fishing both on it. And so my dad worked at the Democrat Gazette newspaper, which was basically the, you know, the Arkansas newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, he connected me with a sports writer who, who did their outdoors stuff and his name is Steve Bowman and Steve and I met and talked about doing an outdoor show and then he connected me with some other people and I you know we we just kind of had this idea we're going to create you know a tv show and so it took a couple of years to do that and uh, in the meantime I wound up moving to hot springs and uh was able to create a television show called Adventure Bound Outdoors. Uh, I, I pitched the idea to TNN, uh, which was kind of the leader in outdoor TV programming at the time. And they were in the process of selling their network to Viacom. Mm -hmm. And they were changing their mode of we buy, we produce 
content, you know, through, you know, uh, independent producers. And then they were basically buying the content to the model that we all now have to live with who, who work in TV where yeah. you buy the time from the network. And so that's kind of they started doing that. And and so it kind of put me out of the game when he told me it was eight hundred thousand dollars to buy the time for 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 a quarter. I was like, I can't do that. You yep. know? And so he said, well, he, he put me in contact with the people at the Outdoor Channel who had just launched in like ninety seven. And so that's kind of where I started. I, I got my my show on the Outdoor Channel in ninety seven and we were on until two thousand four, I guess. OK. With that show. You did a lot of episodes then. Yeah. So as you, and was that, and looking back now, I mean, obviously you've been, you've been doing hunting, not shows and guiding and so forth for an extremely long time. What's your favorite memory in the field? Wow. I know it's, it's, it's the toughest question I'll ask because there's so many different yeah. avenues that you can go. Yeah. I mean, gosh, there, it's like, it, favorite favorite thing or most memorable thing can be like there's like a million of them i'll tell you one that would that'll that'll be a surprise okay okay um jack brittingham i don't know if you know jack yeah i know jack pretty uh, well yeah he has a place in chama new mexico and he invited me to go hunting on his place dip for elk bow hunting for elk um and this has been many 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 years ago and, uh, and, and I, I, you know, jumped at the chance to, to be able to go and do that. And, uh, Jimmy Houston was there, uh, with Jimmy and, and, and Jack were, have been, you know, great friends for a long time as well. And he was there and, and Jimmy was one of my, my idols from, you know, being a kid. And I was, I was, you know, in my, I don't know, mid to late twenties at the time. And, and I had been elk hunting a lot, but I was the camera guy. You know, okay, yeah. and shot video, you know, lots of guys shooting big elk and all that. And and this was like my turn kind of deal. And so I, I'd taken a, a super great friend of mine who's a, a really good producer and, and camera guy was with me. And we that just the entire experience of of, you know, the base camp and the way that, that Jack has his camp set up was so cool. And getting to hang out with with Jimmy and Jimmy and I've got to become friends over the years. Uh, since then and that that was really cool but then the hunting experience itself was just absolutely off the charts and i didn't kill an elk i didn't even shoot an elk but it was the most amazing trip because of the experience and the close encounters that i had and passing a bull and passing that bull and mm -hmm. that's the one i want and we couldn't get close enough and branches in the way and i just i didn't feel like i could make the shot and just stuff like that but it was just absolutely the most amazing hunt i i mean even to this day it was just probably top five experiences of my life and still remember today how often do you think yep. about it you know what? I, I I found a set of shed antlers that were a matching set on that on that hunt. Okay. And uh, they're not. It wasn't a great big bull at all. It, you know, what wouldn't have been one that most guys would have shot. It was you know a little small five by five. But I I kept them and they're sitting on my mantle. And so it's like every every time I see those antlers on the mantle, I just think about that oh, hunt. That's awesome. It's just it's so cool. Yeah. So as now let's let's. Uh go a little bit a little bit farther here 
What's your mm-hmm. favorite spot that you've hunted waterfall? Mm. And you can't say Arkansas. I'm taking Arkansas off. The I know, yeah. you know, and, and it would be that, but, but I'll tell you, um, last November, I went to Ketchikan, Alaska. Okay. And I've been to Ketchikan a bunch of times. I mean, I've been to Alaska probably, I don't know, 15, 15 times. And I've been to Ketchikan at least seven or eight times, maybe more than that. And, but, but I've only been, been duck hunting in Alaska twice. And that was my second time. And Jeremiah Brooks, uh, he's a, a, an outfitter for, for ducks up there. And he's amazing sea duck guide. And he, he and I have been friends for a number of years. He took me to this little honey hole, this little hidey hideaway spot that was the most picturesque, most beautiful spot that you could shoot a duck in. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing. There was, I mean, this is November and, and, and you, you think that Alaska has got to be in the deep freeze the week before Thanksgiving. You got to think, think that yeah. there's no all over the place but southeast alaska is actually way warmer than you think it is it's it's a rainforest and and it rains about every day and it the snow doesn't really come in until man i don't know close to christmas i guess and and so i've been i've been bear hunting and other things you know up into november in southeast alaska and there would not be snow except on the tops of the mountains and so when we're sitting i mean it was probably we had frost and a little bit of dust in the snow in this one little spot that we where we hunted there was snow up on top of the mountain um around us and you could just look up the the great big bay and see the 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 mountains when the snow came when the sun came out it was just stunning and these barrels golden eye were oh. coming out of the stratosphere coming right in to the decoy spread and it was just i mean i'm a i'm a, a guy that likes to call in my ducks and work for them yep. there was no working for these i mean it was just like you just were in the right spot at the right time and you put a few decoys out and it was just amazing oh that's awesome so what's the craziest spot that you've traveled to to hunt then? In probably 2001, I went to the Bitterroot up in Idaho. Okay. And uh, I was videoing, a, uh, I took a, a buddy of mine for, for the television show that I was producing. I took a buddy of mine up there as a taxidermist and we were going uh, we were bear hunting and well, whatever else we can get. I mean, the bear was the main thing. We, you know, we weren't going to, we were, we had the opportunity of doing elk as well, but bear was kind of the first thing on our, on our agenda. And we drove, I don't know, like half a day to get into this location and you had to have four wheel drive. It was a real rocky road. And then we had to get on, go on horseback and we rode on horseback for like, I don't know how many hours. It probably is almost, it was probably like half a day on horseback. And we had like a mule train kind of thing with all of our gear packed on it. And that was something I had never, ever experienced before. But this guy had a camp in the middle of the national forest that to my understanding is like maybe one of the only ones that's even in existence. I mean, he had like, he had like wall tents and all this kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. you, the only way you could get there was, was by traveling on horseback. And he told me that 
that uh, the guy that owned the, the, the thing before he got it uh, had gotten some kind of special permission from like the president to be able to have the camp there. He's like got this grandfathered in deal. On oh, no, yeah. yeah. And so anyway, it was just, it was such an incredible, cool experience. I mean, I saw so many neat things. I mean, we carried like the production gear that we carried and again, this is back, you know, 2001 i think it was maybe 2002 and so the cameras we had back then were just massive i mean like 20 pound cameras and 15 pound tripods and i carried a mini jib which is like it makes the camera go up into the air and mm-hmm. we like had it like four parts like strapped on the sides of these horses because i wanted to i wanted to get some cool video and like i asked the guy he's like bring whatever you want we got plenty of horses i'm like okay you know and so we we just we i mean we went to some very remote places and and caught salmon like in places that probably nobody had ever seen before that that's alive today you know kind of thing i mean it's just like yeah i mean just absolutely and it was so remote there was a there was a a spring that came out of the side of the mountain that was that that somebody like a hundred years ago had made like a big giant like a not really a bathtub i mean it's more like a swimming pool kind of thing and and you could just go in there and sit and like like you were sitting in a in a in a sauna or a a big whirlpool kind of thing i mean it was just massive and he's you know the guy that that owned the place you know he found it and he said yeah this thing looked like it had been has been there for like over 100 years that's just cool stuff that's cool stuff you find out in the wilderness though when you when you Mm -hmm. get out when you get out past everything that you find cool stuff like that yeah so as as you've been in the field you've done a ton of stuff what's your dream hunt what's the one that you haven't gone on that you want to my dream hunt is an Alaskan brown bear with my bow and arrow. Yeah, that would be, that would get the heart rate going for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've done it with a black bear in Alaska, uh, shot a giant one catching salmon. Uh, it was just an incredible experience. That was, that's one of my top 10 hunting experiences as well. But, but after, and, and I mean, it's like a seven foot eight bear. I mean, massive a black, giant bear. black bear. Yeah. Yeah. Just giant. But, but to do that with a brown bear, that's, that's, you know. Yeah. It's different. That's yeah, the next level. That's the yeah. next level. So what I know, so you guide, obviously, what trips do you have outside of that this year? So, um, all waterfowl, I, I was going to do, I'm going to do a, a whitetail hunt in, in Kansas and I messed around and didn't get my dang tag. Okay. And so I've got a buddy of mine that, that has property in, in uh, Kansas that I hunt with him out there just about every year. I either video him or we just go and I get, you know, take a camera guy with me and I haven't been in a few years, but, but uh, my, my plan this year is all waterfowl stuff. I'm, I'm planning to go to Nebraska and really I'm kind of opened my schedule to not just be too picky ahead of time to plan it out because you know how waterfowl is. I mean, they may be there and they may not be. Exactly. And last year I went on, on a month long trek and went to 14 States. And before I got to the 14th state, I'd only killed nine ducks and so it's like, I don't want to do that again. You know, it's like, I didn't, I need to like, not, not set it in stone and just kind of 
have the time open and go where I'm where the ducks are. And so Nebraska is definitely on my list, although Nebraska last year for a lot of guys was horrible. I, mm-hmm. I hope that goodness that they have a better year this year. Um, I mean, I hope everybody has a great year this year, but I think uh, that's going to be on my list. Uh, Michigan is on my list again to try last year was kind of a bust in Michigan and uh, I'm planning to go probably Northeast and do something Northeast. I haven't done very much at all Northeast. I want to do that. Um, That's kind of it. I mean, I think Missouri may be on the list as well. Everyone knows Matthews is the leader in archery innovations, and I'm proud to be part of their team. Little did they know I've been part of their team ever since I started pulling a bow back when I was 12. I personally shoot their new Matthews V3X and love it. So go visit MatthewsInc.com and pick out your next bow. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. So have you tracked on the on the waterfall? And so when I when I did the North America, a couple things. When I did the North America Slam, the one thing I learned, if you show up a day after the weather event happened, mm-hmm. man, you might as well just pack it up and, and head on in because a lot of the times it's it's all over if it's sunny. I can't tell you how many times on the waterfall slam that we rolled in somewhere and heard the, man, you should have been here two days ago. Yeah. And I just remember we started, we started it in Cold Bay, Alaska. Right. And had just missed a giant front that came through and it basically that was the front that moved the majority of the dabbling ducks south and Mm. it still wasn't the weather to get out to go sea duck hunting so now you're sitting there for a week and you're like huh the majority of the melting pot of the dabbling ducks that you came for is now south and you can't get out (laughs) to go out to sea ducks like you really want to and you're like well we're just gonna pick and choose and you didn't get into the high volume shoots and you just went kind of specialty stuff up there because there's so much stuff to do but that was that was really the start of the chase but it was the start and I'd waterfall hunted a lot but not in as many locations and not not going at it like a whole season like you do every year Mm. but it was really I mean I learned time and time and time again just what weather plays into effect to win your waterfall hunting you can have a four-day trip set to somewhere, and if the weather's not right and you missed a, a big front that moved a bunch of birds through and the next front isn't there, it's just it's tough and grinding waterfall hunting. You know, the, the perspective of what you just said is very different depending upon where you hunt. Okay. And that's if anything that I've learned of the years of, of waterfowl hunting and traveling to duck hunt is that duck hunting is different everywhere you hunt. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the perspective of the guy where that hunts where I do regularly in Arkansas or Mississippi or Louisiana, at least in the, in the Mississippi flyway, we are in the wintering ground. Yep. This is where they come to. Okay. And so we love sunny days. That's what we want. That's what we pray for. Uh-huh. So that's our best days of hunting. And and not that we don't love a good 
you know, north blowing wind and nasty and get some sleet and a little bit of snow every once in a while. That's amazing, too. Those days are lights out. Those are guaranteed days for sure. But the sunshiny days is what we want because, um, you know, the, the ducks, we, you can hide easier. The ducks are coming to you now. You know, I don't want to. I don't want a 65 degree sunny day with no wind. Mm-hmm. That's terrible, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but I mean, you know, you don't have a lot of those days in the wintertime, you know, but, but, you know, but when you go to anywhere else, I mean, a front can either be the greatest day or the worst day because yep. it's either pushing out what you got or it's bringing in new stuff. And it just kind of depends on what t- time of the year it is or how bad the front is with, you know, what's kind of weather is behind it. And, and all that. And it's just, I mean, there it, it's, you, you really have to know your area. There are no set anythings in, in any of this stuff. I mean, and that's what the one thing, because as, as I've been building all this, create, creating all this content and trying to teach people stuff, I, I can't say this is what works and this is what you do. It doesn't, it's, there's no blanket statements. I mean, there's a lot of generalities, but, but the reality is, is that, that what's going on in a duck's brain, their pea-sized brain, you know, and their hormones and whatever at the time of year, you know, there's a very – a duck is very different in September than he is in January. I mean, he's doing things differently because he has the urge to fly south or he has the urge to feed on certain things because he's building up fat or, or the hens are – you know, in areas because they are building up ready for, you know, laying eggs coming up soon and all that kind of stuff. And, and it changes their behaviors. Even, even after they get to the wintering grounds, things change for what they do. And so, yeah, I mean, weather is totally, I mean, plays into it, but also what's going on in a brain, in the brain and the body of, of a duck will dictate why they do certain things. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, I mean, the thing I learned is every day is different. Every, yep. every single day is different because you know what? Yesterday you shot a limit and you go out and the weather's the same and everything everything is the same. Today's different than it was yesterday. Ducks yep. are flying a little different and just having so much experience. So when when you when you when did you move? I guess from doing all the video work and got and getting to guiding. So I. I had a television show, like I said, until the mid nine and mid mid two thousands, like two thousand four or five, mm-hmm. and then I I started another show um, right after that. It didn't go very long, couple years, and then and then I was also producing Hank Parker stuff uh, during that time frame, uh, and and really when the economy started tanking um in like 2008 2009 that time frame in there a lot of stuff that i was doing in outdoors television at least started kind of going away um and i was just you know really kind of i took a big giant step out of the outdoor television business because it was just so i mean i i had a lot of very expensive high-end equipment and there was a lot of guys doing it with a lot less Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was harder to make a buck with it. And I'm just not, I can't afford to do it. And so I was like, well, I really enjoy all kinds of production. So I took a step out of it and, and then I started finding it very difficult to have a lot of work to do in December and January, because a lot of, you know, at least, at least around in, you know, in my part of the country, uh, a lot of people are, you know, not doing a lot of, a lot of production. They're, 
you know, dealing with holidays yeah. and everything else. And I wasn't getting work. And, and I just like right place at right time. I met a guy that had a lodge and, and he had been a fan of my television show and he invited me to go hunting. And one day when I was hunting with him, he asked me, he said, do you any, know anybody that can guide? Because I need somebody this weekend to help me guide. And I said, well, I said, I guided a little bit in my 20s, you know. And he said, well, you you know what you're doing. Why don't you take a group out? And it was literally after that weekend. And that was in, that's been like 12 or 14 years ago now. Uh, after that, it was like, that's all I did during duck season. I mean, I was his guide and, and, you know, one of, one of the guys that worked with him and, and that's what I did ever since. And it, it, it paid me as well or better than running a dang video camera. It's funny when you, when you make transitions like that. So you instantly fell in love with guiding after that first time though. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I guided some in my twenties and I enjoyed it and be honest with you. I mean, I've kind of always been a guide ever since I kind of figured it out. I mean, I've been the guy with the boat, with the dog, with the decoys and the spot to go and knew how to blow the duck call. And so I was always carrying my friends and I didn't have to always be the guy pulling the trigger. It was just like, just, just do what I tell you guys, Mm -hmm. just keep your face down. And when I say shoot them, then shoot them and that we're all going to be fine. And, and I've really kind of had a lot of that relationship with, with my hunting buddies over the years. And, and so, you know, going into full-time guiding, like I have in the last decade or more, uh, I, I love it. And, and, you know, I've got a lot of friends that guide, a lot of them have burned out of it and they hate it and they've had bad experiences. And I'm not going to say that every single day has been perfect by any means. And I haven't had a few things happen that I wish didn't, but man, I, 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 I love it. I mean, I love watching guys just have the time of their life and showing guys experiences and proving to them that you can make a duck land in the decoys, you know, yep. and you can do all the things that we do. I mean, it's, 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 it's just a ball. So how many days a year do you guide right now? I guide every day of the Arkansas season. So we have a 60 day season and I would say that, you know, there might be a day or two in there that we don't have paying paid clients that that you know requires me you know all of our all of us to guide but i'm i still go you know Mm -hmm. and and so yeah i mean 50 something days you know on as a guide probably and and then during the snow goose season uh we guide a lot i i i'm probably not going to guide as much on the snow goose uh here on out it's just it's a young man's deal, dude. I'm telling you. <laughs> lot, after after being with you guys, holy smokes, the amount of work that goes into that is insane. Yeah, it it is. It's just it's so much. I mean, I'm, so just real quick on that, like how many how many decoys on a on a typical snow goose spread do you guys put out? Let's see, snow goose. Uh, man. 40 or 50 dozen, I think I, something like that, 45 dozen, maybe. I mean, we, we, we put out, I mean, we put out a lot, a lot, a lot of rags. We'll put out, we'll put out some dark decoys too, even though, you know, spec season is out. Mm -hmm. We still put, we'll still put some out just because it kind of makes, it's a believable deal for them. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of decoy, we put out, you know, a lot of full bodies as well. We, 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 we had some guys come down not this past season, but the season before some, some really good friends of mine from uh, Iowa, they brought their 20 foot trailer of decoys. And then we put our 
decoys with them and we set up a spread that was the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen and i know i know there are some guys in missouri that probably do more than that but i mean golly i mean it was just it was nuts i mean i, I think there was like i don't know eight thousand decoys or something crazy i mean it was like i mean there's no way you could shoot even halfway across the spread i mean it was just so big that's funny so how did it do yeah. that day, though? That's the real question. How did it do? Well, we did. Uh, it wasn't that good. I mean, I think we killed like 50 or something. <laughs> it's the weather, you know, and oh, yeah. I think there was some there was some missed opportunities on 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 uh, not calling the shot at the right time. You know, sometimes we gotcha, get yeah. we get a little a uh, little, uh, you know, just a little too. I don't know. I mean, we, we could have, we should have shot when we had an opportunity and we thought we were going to get the whole group in there. And then we only had like 50 come in instead of 5,000. <laughs> yep. So what in your opinion makes Arkansas, and this is straight, you can be straight biased on this answer. What yeah. makes Arkansas the Mecca of waterfalling in the U S mm. well, you know, like I, like I talked about earlier, I mean, we are the wintering ground and uh, it's, it's where they're coming to the funnel, you know, I mean, we, you know, ducks come across multiple flyways, you know, we get ducks coming from and geese from Alaska, even sometimes will come all the way to Arkansas and they'll come from, you know, the Northeast up in, you know, Northeast uh, Canada and they, they come to Arkansas. And so that's, I think that's the deal. I mean, you know, more wintering waterfowl come to Arkansas and, in Louisiana than anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Mallard ducks, uh, just by, you know, the millions, you know, and, and it's that, I think that's the reason is that there's just so many here. I mean, why do people, why do people come to Arkansas? I mean, yeah, the volume of birds, but, but it's the, it's the timber. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the thing. That's the thing that people want to come to. I mean, that's, that's why, you know, Arkansas is a bucket list destination because there's very few places that you can go on the, on planet earth that has flooded timber, legit like oak trees that you can stand in knee deep water and a duck come parachuting through the woods and into your face, you know, and you shoot them. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of people that, that say we hunt timber, but it's not the same thing. I mean, it's just not, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, of legit timber in Southeast Missouri and maybe a little bit in some places in Illinois and and then but really the, the majority of it is arkansas louisiana and, and and mississippi i tell you what until i hunted timber the first time i didn't realize just how awesome it was i just yeah. the way the ducks move through the through the trees and it's just it takes it to a different level it's you know it's like you you the first time i ever duck hunted was in flooded timber and and i just I didn't understand, you know, it's like mm -hmm. I had this, I mean, I, you, you see ducks on a pond or you drive by a rice field and you'd see ducks by the thousands in a field. And then a buddy of mine invited me to go duck hunting. I was 15 years old and he said, we're going to go hunting in the woods. I'm like, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'd never heard of that. I mean, I lived in Arkansas. I'd never heard of that. And, and, you know, ducks will, I mean, I mean, I have seen like massive groups of hundreds upon hundreds of ducks landing for like five minutes in the woods. And you're just like, how do they get in there? And they figure it out. And just the whole, once, once they all get in there, you just look at the water and it's just nonstop movement all over in the trees. Yeah. And I would say like, so I, I was going to ask, but like that, that's the, like the history of Arkansas. Like there's no spot in the U S that you can say that has the history of waterfall hunting that Arkansas does. And like, I would a hundred percent relate that to the trees mm. 
and really, like, I may take it a step farther, the blinds that are there. Like, yeah. there's, there's nowhere else in the U.S. that has the type of, of blind setups that are in Arkansas. It, yeah, it's just very different. I mean, you know, there, there are definitely, I mean, every, a lot of states, not every state necessarily, I mean, but a lot of states have got a very rich waterfowl hunting tradition and lots of incredible history. I mean, obviously the Northeast, you know, Chesapeake Bay area, all of that is all even you know, longer heritage of it just because there was people, you know, there that would talk about it, you know, white man, as they say, you know, that have that settled, settled the, the nation, you know, but yeah, Arkansas, uh, you know, definitely the trees, uh, you know, the, the commercial hunting that would, you know, not just guiding hunting, but, but actually, you know, the guys that would, would hunt and, and kill ducks for, you know, restaurants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They'd put them on trains and send them to Chicago and stuff like that back in the early 1900s. Man, times have changed. Yeah. Times have changed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, let's switch. Let's go back to surviving duck season. You you explained the the how and, and, and why you kind of developed it as, a, I guess, an information source. And mm-hmm. is that your goal with the surviving duck season series? Of being in being the the informational hub or or helping new hunters. That's a great question. You know, I, I, my intention originally was to create some awesome content related to duck hunting that people could watch, and and it's it evolved more into the the teaching stuff. And I mean, you know, I've been in content creation. We didn't call it content creation until the last half a dozen years probably you know we just we called it film and television production but i've been doing creating these kind of you know videos and shows and whatnot for 30 years now and and what i've learned is you have to continue reinventing yourself as a creator yep. uh you you can't just be the same thing over and over and over again because there you're you're going to peak and that's when you, you know, you don't want to go past your peak very long because then you're a has-been. Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and you become irrelevant. And and I mean, you know, uh, I guess as as a as a man, as a human being, you know, very driven guy that I am, it's like I I want to be, I want to be a world changer, you yeah. know. And and their world changers are, you know, take on lots of different roles and personalities i mean there are world changers that do stuff that invent stuff that create stuff um that change the world and then there are people that motivate people to change the world you know and and there's everything in between 
And, and so, you know, I'm not an inventor, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I, I don't build stuff, but unless you consider building a video, you know, but I, you know, I can, I, I'm, I guess I'm a, a pretty decent communicator and I, I'm a good storyteller. And that's, you know, that's kind of how I see myself as a world changer. And so I want, I want to help people. I want people to, to know what I know and to be able to experience what I have. And so that's why I enjoy sharing that by guiding people. And that's why I enjoy sharing that with the content that I'm creating, because the reality is as, as hunters, whether you duck hunt or deer hunter, whatever, um, you know, we are a dying breed. Yep. And, and I feel like that it is so important to be able to help people to learn how to do it. Um, because there are, there is a gigantic gap in the timeline for mentors. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. guys in their thirties and forties that never had a daddy that taught them how to duck hunt or even shoot a gun. And they're, they've got to figure it out somehow. And, and so, you know, we have to, we have to rise to the occasion. How can I do it? The best way I know how to do it is what I'm doing with surviving duck season. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk, let's talk about what, what projects have you done in the last 12 months, last 12 to 16 months? Let's pick one and explain the the reasoning behind it. And then what you've heard from people that have watched it. So my shotgunning series is ongoing. I, I had the idea about two or three years ago to do it. And it's literally taken me that long for it to come to fruition um, for all kinds of things. Uh, and I really thought, uh, I, I remember visiting with a guy that was a camera guy working for me and my wife, we were sitting around after a duck hunt one, one afternoon and we were kind of brainstorming some stuff. And I, and I said, guys are always asking questions online about what's the best shotgun shell and what's Mm -hmm. the best choke tube. It's like the number one question I see, I think I want to try to figure it out. And I said, and I know that's ridiculous to say that because you really, there is no, perfect anything i mean it's all so subjective but i i want to at least try to talk about it and maybe help guys understand because i had gone through you know over the year before that i had gone through i'm i'm getting a new shotgun and i learned so much through the process i mean gosh i i'd shot different shotguns for 25 30 years before that but i kind of lived with my 870 i say live with not not as a bad thing but just that's what i'd hunted with i i shot several different guns over the years and I kept going back to that 870 and kept going back to 870 and that was my guide gun and and I was tired of it beating me up man that sucker kicks like a mule <laughs> and so I thought well I'm going to get something else I'm going to start shooting an auto loader because I'd really never shot one very uh-huh. much so so that kind of is where, where that all started and fast forward to today um, I've put out the first several videos in my shotgun series it was supposed to be three videos it was supposed to be a video about shotguns a video about ammunition and a video about choke tubes and then about a year ago after i had started really putting the writing writing out some scripts and trying to get the data together for what i want to do i realized okay this is more like a six video series and then last fall I said, no, this is an eight video series. And, and now I'm at, okay, well, I've got, I've got like a half a dozen of them done. And, and, you know, really this is like 
part of maybe 12 or 14 videos in my first series. And next year I'm going to be doing more because I, I could create, I, I figured that, that I could create shotgun videos exclusively on my channel and nothing else and probably have enough content to last me for like four or five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's just that much stuff. I mean, I don't really intend to do that uh, because I, there's so much other stuff, you know, about, about waterfowl that I'm going to be doing, but it is, it's super valuable, super interesting. Uh, the, the stuff that, that we've been able to do, we rented a, a phantom a slow-mo camera, uh, back a few months ago to shoot video of the shot stream never been done before i mean there have been some guys that have tried to shoot some slow-mo stuff but the technology wasn't there until about a year or so ago that you could even shoot a hundred thousand frames a second in in you know it's about not quite hd quality it's almost hd quality uh and and you know before that it was just not very good you couldn't really see it very good it was like in black and white mm -hmm. and now it's like it's absolutely stunning the stuff that we've been able to learn from it and i'm still i mean i've got like hours upon hours where the footage is still go through to still analyze and 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 probably need to get some help you know because i'm not i mean i'm not a ballistics scientist or whatever you know i mean i'm just kind of going with what what i'm looking at and but it's it's just it's unbelievable the response that I've gotten from the series so far we've done we've done videos on patterning how to properly pattern your gun that's the thing I think that's been the most shocking to me um, is that most guys that hunt with a shotgun do not pattern their gun now uh, I'll take that back and say that turkey hunters do most mm -hmm. of them do but but wing shooters they do not. I mean, it's just they have no idea what their gun is doing. Yep. And 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 that I mean, I, I asked every single guy that sat in my blind last duck season. I said, what are you shooting today? They tell me 12 gauge, 20 gauge, whatever. I mean, 99 percent, 12 gauge, yep. um, three inch. Some of them were shooting three and a half. And then what choke tube and have you patterned your gun with with what you're shooting today? Two people said yes. I mean, that's like, uh, and, and, and I really wasn't that surprised. I mean, I hadn't done a lot of patterning of my gun. Um, like I have in the last four or five years, mm -hmm. I, I did some, I knew kind of what my gun did, but it's like, I didn't really realize that, well, you know what? A different year's worth of shells may be different. Yep. I mean, because you don't know that, federal winchester whoever might have changed the recipe mm -hmm. you know they may have a different wad in there maybe they've got a different primer maybe they're they've done something different with the powder and it doesn't mean it's worse or better it just means it's different and so maybe your choke tube performs differently on that particular load than it did last year because you thought that your expert number twos look like this but they don't look like that this year yeah and that's what's been amazing to me. Uh, factory choke tubes uh, are not what you think they are. I mean, that's what I've learned as well. I mean, I've got I've got one modified that looks pretty darn good, but I've also got another modified that doesn't look good. That, and it's like, well, what? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me. So on your on your shotgunning, well, I guess on your on your whole channel, what's your highest viewed video? You know, what was uh, the subject of it? Yeah. 
how to blow a duck call 101. I mean, that wasn't the name of it necessarily, but it was, it was, that was the idea. It's like how to quack and how to do the feed call. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it was, that was probably the most simple video that I ever did on the channel up to this date. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I wanted to put a video out and the video I was working on was taking too long and I just felt like I needed to do something. I'm like, well, I'll just do a duck calling video. And so I literally went outside, turned the camera on, sat in front of the camera and just started yapping and blowing the call. And it was like 30 minutes of footage that I condensed down to whatever it was, like 10 minutes or whatever. And, and I mean, I, I shot it in 30 minutes. It took me longer to set the camera and everything up than it did to actually shoot it. And then I probably spent two hours editing it and, and put that sucker up and it sat there like dead for like a month. And I thought, wow, I've failed miserably. I mean, mm-hmm. it did, I bet it didn't get a thousand views in a month. And, and I thought I have failed miserably. And then all of a sudden, like six months later, I happened to look up. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's got like a hundred thousand views. What just <laughs> happened? Yeah. And was it, <laughs> and was, it's just, was that timing? Was it something that, Hey, waterfall season's coming. And it was one of those things like you realize after that, it just wasn't when you released it, it may have been too early and it wasn't the month or the six weeks before waterfall season. You know, it is, it, it's, it's probably a combination of a whole bunch of things. And I've, you know, in, in this whole YouTube thing, there's a lot more going on than you just making a video. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. and so, you know, I have hired consultants, I've taken courses and spent a pile of money learning how to do YouTube, not, not making videos. I can do that. It's learning how to do YouTube. And that's the thing. And, and I feel like that that video was, was right the timing probably wasn't right i think i released the thing in like june and and so the timing wasn't exactly right but also the life of my channel wasn't wasn't there yet either and so there's like a whole lot of things going on but it was a very searchable thing and that's where all my views come from on that video is search people type in how to blow a feed call Mm -hmm. you know and i've got like five or six videos about that and that one comes up and you know i mean i don't know about you but when i am looking for a video on youtube i'm scrolling through if i've like asked about something and you see the thumbnail and so the thumbnail is the first thing you see you go okay and then you look at the name of the video and you read the title and then the next thing i look at is how many views yep exactly and then how long is it Mm -hmm. and that's what it is and so you know, I think that eventually when people see, oh, well, gosh, the thing's got 300,000 views or whatever it's got on it, you know, they go, you know, oh, well, that's that somebody else liked it. So maybe I'll like it, you know. Exactly. If there if there were 300,000 other people that watch it, I guess I should probably watch that, too. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah. That yeah. algorithm with YouTube, the ever changing. Yeah. Is that's the most challenging part about people that put out great content is trying to tackle that thing, because that's the number one thing that you have to tackle. Mm hmm. Yeah. So as we as we move on here, what are if you had to list out what the, let's just say the top three to five, mm-hmm. what are the major factors that affect success in duck hunting? Mm. And let's just use Arkansas as a location, knowing it can change from sea ducks or whatever. Let's use Arkansas. What are the what are the top factors that go into a successful duck hunt? So, I mean, location, 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 as they say, I mean, that is, is everything. And, and, 
And there, you know, once you get into a location, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on the X. Okay. It just means you've got to be where a duck would come to. Okay. There's a lot of guys that, that have this belief of, of setting up and making everything hyper-realistic. And that means you scout it, you see the ducks that are in that exact spot, then you go in there and you set up your decoy spread to look as much like that as you possibly can, Mm -hmm. and then you hide from them. And that's not a bad way to hunt. But if that's all you ever did, you wouldn't get a lot, you wouldn't have a lot of success because you can't make that happen every day. I mean, if you hunt four days a, a month or whatever, yeah, but not when you try to hunt four days a week or seven days a week and so i think location 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 is definitely the the biggest factor and and either being on the x or being in a spot that you can traffic the ducks and so that means being under the flyway Um, that's different in arkansas than it is in iowa you know, or in Michigan or in Indiana. I mean, the, the flyways are different. There, There is so much of a larger volume of birds that are here because we're in the wintering ground. Mm. It's just, you can't, it's hard to compare it. But, um, you know, for me, a guy in Arkansas, um, I love my decoys. But if you said, you got to pick one. You got to pick a duck call or a decoy. What's it going to be? It's always going to be the duck call, 100%. I can make a duck land with no decoys, totally. Now, would it make it easier if I could put one out? Yep. But I can still make it happen without it. Now, does that work everywhere else? I don't know. I don't hunt everywhere else as much as I hunt Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I bet that it's not as easy to make that happen north of the of the of the wintering ground you know yeah uh you know it's it's very very subjective uh but but you know a a duck call is is king i mean that's why you know why why do you have you know the the world duck calling championship in arkansas you know it's that's that's the thing is the call and it really is true and you know people like well i can't I, i could never call like you do where where i hunt and i and i say you're right you can't because it doesn't work the same everywhere. It's it's not just about it's not just about that you see so many ducks here so you can blow loud. Mm-hmm. It's about also the time of the year and and why ducks are calling as much now. They're not calling as much in September and October. If they don't react the same way because I've tried it. I've gone north and blown a duck call like I do you know, in January and it doesn't work the same. <laughs> <laughs> they give you the flare off. They give you the, what's going mm-hmm. on down there. We're out of here. Yeah. Or they just don't even listen yeah. to you. It's like they're tone deaf to it. You know, it's like, what? You know? Yeah. So, so I mean, okay. So, so back to your question. So location for me, location first, call second, decoys third, Okay. you know, picking the wind though, man. I mean, that's, that's massive. Yeah. <clears throat> massive massive and and blinds blind location you know uh that is is you know getting the hide i mean i think i think all of that is that's all paramount you have to get all of those things right to be consistently successful duck hunting uh you know but again the hide that i have here compared to a hide that i might have in canada i mean goodness you can be sitting out in the wide open a lot of times in Canada and they don't pay no attention to you yep. or it depends on the species you're targeting. Sea ducks react completely different than a mallard does or a pintail or a black duck, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I'll, so I'll admit on the calling part, I'm 
I'm pretty awful. So mm-hmm. when when you have somebody that want like somebody asks you, how do I get better at calling? What do you tell them? Listen to my videos. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, here here's the thing. Uh, the the biggest mistake I feel like that I hear in most guys is that they they grunt into their call. Yep. They don't present clean air into their call. Um, and and you know if you if you blow a a double read call, double read calls are much easier to have success with for most guys. Um, and and they're, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that they're foolproof or dummy proof or any of that kind of stuff, but they are much simpler. Um, and and they're they create a nice raspy sound. I mean, there's a lot of simple calls to do, but your flexibility with what the sound comes out, you know, I mean, you don't have the range, you don't have both tonally and volume wise, you don't have in a double read call that you get out of a single read call. Um, you can manipulate a single recall a lot easier. So, you know, but presenting clean air is, is the number one problem that most guys do. And the way that you can, can help yourself hear that is to turn the call around backwards and blow through it without it, the wind going over the reeds. And so then you can hear if you're going, uh, you're doing that, you're doing, you're not doing it right. Yep. You know, just, I mean, you can have a little bit of, a little bit of voice in it, but it's like, like that that's mm-hmm. how you want that's i don't know if you can hear that or not but i mean it's just it's mostly clean air it's just it's just blowing and 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 that i think is the number one problem the other problem is understanding that you're blowing from your diaphragm your gut you know from down below not from your throat you're not most people um that have trouble sounding good you know they don't open their throat up and, and go ah and so they're going uh, you know and you, you blow uh then it's straining it and you just don't get the sound that you want to get. Gotcha. Well, I think I looking at the list here, I had way more stuff to go over. Literally. I think <laughs> that we're going to once we'll have to definitely get together again. Once waterfall season's going or knowing how busy yeah. you are after it's over, but I've got yeah. one last question. I'm going to, I'm going to leave for you. Okay. If you had to list out of all your experiences, what are the best five, top five waterfall locations to hunt in the u.s and it can be for sea ducks it can be for um ducks it can be for geese what just top five if you went man if i had five more days that i could be anywhere i'm going to do these five hunts Mm. okay so i mean obviously i'm going to say arkansas um even if i didn't live here it would definitely be in the top five Mm -hmm. so that's a definite yes on that um Washington state is unbelievably good for duck hunting. Um, I've, I've been there quite a few times. Uh, I've, I've, I've only hunted the Eastern side, so I don't know what it's like further West, but the Eastern part of Washington is amazing. Uh, and so that would definitely be one. Um, early season Canada is just amazing. Yeah. The birds are very dumb and you can just, I mean, it's high volume. You can be quick if you want to be. Uh, it's a good place if you can carry your dog to get some quick early experience. And you can make mistakes and things like that. Uh, and the Canada goose hunting is just crazy. It's fun. And so that would definitely be on the list. 
I mean, and there's a lot of provinces that are great, you know, Alberta Mm -hmm. and Saskatchewan and even Ontario, they're really, really good. I mean, that would be the top three in, in, in Canada for me. Uh, sea duck hunting. I've done both Alaska and Cape Cod, you know, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. I mean, all of those places are in unbelievably good just for the, the beauty of the scenery and the, and the, you know, the, the whole Alaska experience is just, I mean, that's like, that's like the trip of a lifetime that every waterfowler should do. The I mean, rem- the remoteness of it. It's yeah. Just, it's, it's, I'd still remember as I close my eyes, I can still picture the remoteness and the beauty yeah. of just sitting there. And it's one of those things you can't believe that you're hunting in that location. Yeah. 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 It's, it's something else. Um, you know, the, the, the Midwest, you know, Kansas and, and Nebraska both have got some phenomenally good duck hunting, uh, a lot of really good public land duck hunting in, especially in, well, both states really, but, but Kansas does. Um, and, and, you know, the, uh, uh, I mean, I've just had some incredible hunts on both in both of those two states. Uh, Montana was a great, a great state that I hunted. That's, that's just very picturesque. Uh, just getting in some little hidey holes and, and the ducks just, just come in right on top of you. Yeah. I mean, just, just incredible. Uh, I mean, I could, I can find the, the great places. I mean, I could, I've hunted in 41 states. So, well, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's hard to like pick five, you know, and go with it. But I mean, that's, I don't know. I don't know where, how far I got. <laughs> so after, after the North America slam that I did, like I, I, and I can't tell you why, but now it's to the point of just over my lifetime, I want to hunt waterfall and successfully take either a goose or a duck in, in every state that you can. I don't yeah. know why, just because the whole slam process taught me that it's so different in every location, in every state, and who you go with, they do it different because this is what the years of experience has shown them to do in this location. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that difference or whatever it was, but that's, that's one of the things is every year now I'm trying to knock out one or two different locations to go duck hunting or goose hunting, just completely different. And some of it may be like Wyoming, like so, so odd, but I've heard so much about getting on these, on these little creeks and rivers in Wyoming and having these mallards just at like 10 feet because they're coming right in at you. And I don't know why that intrigues me because it's different. Yep. Like it just, just all those experiences that it, as you said, 41 states that you've hunted, I eventually want to get up there as, as well on the, on the waterfall train. People ask me, they say, why would you want to go shoot a duck somewhere other than Arkansas? Why would you travel to do that? And it's, it's like, just for that reason, like you say, it's like to see something cool, the backdrop, the backdrop of that, of that mallard landing in that little Creek. I mean, you know, that's, that's what it's about. You know, I mean, it's just, there ain't nothing like it. And, and man, when I, when I found out about your waterfowl slam, I was like, man, that's like the coolest thing. It's like, I want to do that. <laughs> I, uh, I only aged 32 years during that process. So yeah, it, it turned out really good for me. <laughs> My kids are like, dad, you have gray hair and you're uh, slightly balding now. I'm like, yep, that's, that was the waterfowl slam right there. It was, it was six months. <laughs> oh my god! Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming on today. We're definitely going to have to do this again. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. 
Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247. Thank you.